lesson. And this is the lesson, while if there's any part of the book of James that you know, this is probably at least part of it when it talks about the power of the tongue. And uh, I want to get to it. I've said it probably every time we've done one of these lessons, the last three of them, that James is considered Proverbs of the New Testament. It's just... uh, how many of you like just real simple instructions that if you follow it, it works? I like that. I hate getting instructions and half of it's written in some foreign language or it doesn't work or you can tell that whoever wrote it was trying to translate it and it didn't come out right and part A doesn't match part A and when you get done, you got 15 screws left over and when you set it up, it falls down. I don't like that. I want very clear instructions. And I would like to tell you that the Word of God should while there are some, the Bible says study to show yourself approved, and there are things in the Word of God that we can always glean a deeper understanding. I will tell you right now, the Bible is easy to understand. The instructions that are contained in the Word of God for your salvation and for your, your sanctification, your discipleship, they're in black and white, and it's very simple, it's very easy. And uh, that's one of the reasons I like the book of Proverbs. And so... In the last three lessons on the book of James, and that was on James chapter 1 and James chapter 2, we took two two, uh, uh, lessons on chapter 1, but we were introduced to that understanding of a mature Christian. The first thing, chapter 1, reminds us that a mature Christian is patient in trials and is on guard for temptations. Uh, Trials, remember, trials, uh, they're from the Lord. And the trials are there so that you and I can grow, you and I can mature, and it can produce a positive change in our life. Uh, Trials are not always fun, but most of the things that make us better at the beginning are not fun. Uh, When you get a new job that you really want, there's a learning curve, and it's not fun at first. But you, you spend some time, you learn the job, and then you enjoy it. Uh, if you're going to, uh, you know, do any type of, of exercise or if you're going to do any type of sport, there, there, it, it's not about just getting out there and hitting home runs or, or uh, getting, you, you know, touchdowns or putting the puck in the net. There's a lot of trials that come so you can get to where you can enjoy the game. And the same is true with, with being a Christian. And then we learn that temptations... now. James does this incredible, incredible job of comparing and contrasting things. So he tells us that trials are from the Lord and they produce a positive change. And then the second part of that he says, but temptations, they're from the devil and they never produce a positive change. They try to get us to change our walk with God. And then in in chapter 2 we talked about that a mature Christian is one that practices the truth of God and and listens to the word of God and sees those things. Now I want you to listen very closely because I am so excited about this this session, not because I'm going to preach it, but I love this part of the book of James. And I want every young person to listen, I want every uh, almost young person to listen, those of you that aren't quite so young, I want you to listen. Because if ever the word of God was very clear in how to live for God, this is it. And so when you walk out of here, now, the, I, I, I talked to my dad on the phone uh, as I left the office today and was heading back home. Was talking. I said, you know, it, every time I read this, I get a, uh, a little bit convicted when I see how important 
the tongue and the words and the wisdom that we need, uh, how important that is. And so this is going to be really simple, yet incredibly profound. And, and I like the fact that when, 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 um, when they said to Peter, day of Pentecost, and I'm paraphrasing, Peter, we've heard your lesson, we've heard your sermon, how can I be saved? I'm so thankful that Peter didn't take another 45 minutes or a 12-week Bible study to tell us how to be saved. He did it in one sentence. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall re- for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it's boom, it's easy, I can do that. James is the same way. James is going to say it very succinctly. James is going to say it very simplistically. You want to know how to live for God? You want to know how to make sure that, that you're walking with God? Do what James says. You don't have to get a commentary out. You don't have to get the Greek and Hebrew lexicons out. It's just, it's just there. And so in this lesson, we're going to introduce a third characteristic of a mature Christian, and it's how do we handle our tongue? And then there will be another way of judging our walk with God as we examine and contrast the wisdom of God from the wisdom and knowledge of this world. I heard an illustration. There was a woman in a church that was a notorious gossip. Uh, most of the day she hung around the phone calling different people and she would share tidbits with anyone and all that would listen and she just gossiped and there wasn't any way to sugarcoat it. She was a gossip she came to the pastor one day and she said pastor I've been convicted the Lord has told me of my sin of gossip my tongue is getting me in trouble my tongue is getting uh, others into trouble what what should I do and the pastor in his wisdom uh, knew that she wasn't as sincere as she sounded because she had gone through this stage before and so guardedly he asked he said all right ma'am he said uh what do you plan to do about it and she said I plan to Put my tongue on the altar, she replied with all of the pious fervor she could. Calmly that pastor replied, there isn't an altar big enough. You know how we say things like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? How many of you believe that? Can I tell you another thing that may not be so, so perfectly said in the word of God, but it holds true? Human nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They gossiped and their tongue got them. In fact, you're going to see it throughout it. I was, now, now this, I've preached on the power of the tongue. I've, I've, I've had sermons on the power, but I decided not to go to sermons I've written and, and sermons I've developed. I said, Lord, I want to just help me see this afresh. And so uh, in it, there were, there were verses that connected uh, that I had never put together. And, and it's very clear, I should have. It's my fault. But um, You're, you're going to find that in the Old Testament, it was their tongue that got them in trouble. You're going to find in the New Testament, it was their tongue that got them in trouble. You're going to find in every generation, it's the tongue that got them in trouble. And the tongue is not always spoken. And so as I talk a little bit, and as the Word of God, now that would be the better way I say that, as the Word of God speaks tonight, don't just say, well, you know what, I don't talk a whole lot, so I'm okay. The tongue has been replaced by the thumbs. And it's what we text. It's what we put on Facebook. It's how we operate in that sense. So I want you to see it all. 
You see, the, James was writing to the church there in Jerusalem, and it's obvious that, that this church had some major issues. In fact, if you remember in the first part of James, James chapter 1 verse 19, he admonished them to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. In fact, in James chapter 1 verse 26, he told them that if you don't know how to bridle your tongue, you're not even religious. That's a pretty scathing indictment. In James chapter 2 verse 12, he said we've got to speak and act as if we are already facing Christ at judgment. That's one of the things that, that helps me make sure I do right. I don't want to get to judgment and then realize things I did were wrong. I want to act as if I'm being judged right now while I have some time of God's mercy and grace. And um, later on, we'll get into James chapter 4, and you're going you're gonna to kind of get the idea that this church had some major problems. Their, their, their church services were crazy. There was a lot of things going on, and, and I'm so thankful we've got a great church. And... Uh, it's not near like James was pastoring, and I thank God for that. But you know, the power of speech is one of the greatest gifts that God has given the human being. It's with that tongue that you and I have the opportunity to, to praise God. It's with the tongue that we pray. It's with the tongue that we preach the word. It's with the power of our tongue and speech and communication that we can teach a Bible study and lead the lost to Christ. It's a privilege. And all throughout the Bible, you see an element of speech, communication, the tongue that goes. You find that it was one of the, the, the things that the Lord, uh, a punishment that the Lord gave uh, when man was, was trying to become and, and kind of put God to the side. What, was, what did God do at the Tower of Babel? He confused languages. He said, I don't want you to be able to communicate with everybody. And so it, it began to spread. And then later on at the day of Pentecost, you have the languages coming back together because it was, uh, I forget how many different languages people heard there on the day of Pentecost, but it, it was God bringing it all back so he could speak. You find this, and then you have the verses like the foolishness of preaching. Of all the things that God could do to build a church and to affect salvation, he chose some dude standing up and talking, for lack of a better word. He said, you've got to hear the word. That means there has to be speech going on. God could have said, all you got to do is read the word of God, and when you get done, you can take a test, and then you'll be saved. But that's not what he said. There's an element of speech. But it's with that same tongue that can preach, that same tongue that can pray or praise, that same tongue can tell a lie that will ruin a reputation of someone. It can break a heart. That ability that you and I to speak, we take it for granted so many times, but James tells us we ought not to do that. And so in order to impress upon you and I the importance of the power of the tongue, James is going to give us six pictures that, that describe the tongue. He's going to talk about the bit, the bridle, the, the horse's bridle, that bit in the horse's mouth. The rudder on a ship. Fire, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. And we're going to put those together. And again, I'm going to use uh, uh, Warren Wearsby's commentary that he has that's going to help me put some outline together. Uh, and, and so you, you'll hear a little bit of alliteration in some of the points, and that comes from him because he's a master at that. But why don't you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, and uh, let's start with verse 1 and 2, uh, just as introduction, and then we'll get into it. And I want you to listen carefully because this is, this is powerful. 
uh, I think I'm reading from the the English Standard Version. I believe that's what I put in my notes. I forgot to write it down. Uh, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For if we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his his whole body. First off, There's two things I want to remind you. Number one, you better practice what you preach. Even if you never stand behind a pulpit, even if you're really not a teacher or a preacher, you still need to practice what you preach. Live the life that you say you're supposed to live. And then number two, nobody's perfect. And so no one in this building ought to be able to look at me and say, you know what, I'm okay, I've conquered this, I'm perfect, because the Bible right here tells us that really no one is, the Bible says no one's perfect save the Lord. And so we're all going to battle this. Another problem in in chapter 4 of James is that the church that he was pastoring, there was so many of them that were consumed with the position of, of an office in the church. They they wanted to be the teacher. They wanted to be the preacher. They wanted to be the board member. They wanted to be the Sunday school teacher. Uh, They were impressed with the authority. They were impressed with the prestige of the office, but they were forgetting that it's not about what you do behind the pulpit that truly matters most. It's what do you do when you're outside the pulpit. How do you live your life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday morning? And so James was reminding them that, that if, you're gonna, if, if you want to really teach the word of God, you're going to be held accountable. There's another verse in the Bible that says the measure that you use to measure out is going to be the measure that you were, that, that's used on you. And so if you're going around spouting Bible verses and preaching to everybody else about their sins and the little speck that's in their eye and you've got a telephone pole sticking out of yours, Practice what you preach. But we all stumble. Even though he mentions teachers and preachers, we all stumble. We all battle this this thing that is our tongue. And, and, And James says that we all stumble in many ways, but he seems to indicate that it's the tongue that gets us into the most trouble. My dad reminded me today of, he and my mama used to tell me, Brandon, if you just hush... You wouldn't get in any trouble. For the most part, I didn't do a whole... My, my issues was because I ran my mouth. I knew more than anybody else. I didn't know when to stop talking ever. Those of you that have been around since World War II or those of you that know history, you may remember there was... A, a mass uh, advertising campaign that all hinged on this slogan loose lips sink ships don't you know they didn't want you to just tell everybody what you knew because uh, you know may, maybe you had a, a family member on a ship that was going to be crossing the ocean at a certain time and you didn't want to tell them because then you boats would be hanging out there loose lips sink ship and and uh, I would tell you today that loose lips also wreck lives. You can have a, an unguarded statement that you weren't even thinking about and suddenly your tongue, has, as they say, your tongue wrote a check 
the rest of your life is going to have to cash. Maybe you could raise your hand. Any of you ever got in a fight because of what your mouth said? Mm-hmm. Some of you that aren't raising your hands, I understand. I can see it in your eyeballs. Yeah. And so many times in our life, our life has to write a check or we have to defend what our tongue said. So let's get into it. There's, there is um, uh, three things that the tongue has the power to do. The tongue has the power to direct, the power to destroy, and if I can turn to the right thing, because I, and the power to delight. Those are the three things from Warren Wearsby, and I like how he says it. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, even though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And I would tell you today that those two things go together. That, that the reason James chose the bit of a horse's bridle and the rudder, uh, other places, and you may have it in, 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 in your version of the Bible, it uses the word helm, but that means rudder. Those are small. And the overall space, the overall size of a horse or the size of a ship, a rudder or a bit seems to be an inconsequential thing. But it's that small bit that enables the rider to control that 2,000 pound horse or so. That rudder allows that ship to be turned. And so the tongue directs our life. And I was, I was searching, I was reading about this, I was looking at commentaries, and, and, and while I understand the, the turning, I saw this. It says that both the bit and the rudder, this is commentary I wrote, wrote, read, excuse me, read, both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces. I don't know if any of you have ever broken a horse. I don't know if you've ever had a horse that's never had a saddle, never had a bit. I know my dad's done it. Uh, I don't know that I could say I broke a horse, but I could tell you that I've ridden a horse that had never had a, a, a bit in its mouth, never had a saddle. Um, sometimes I rode it for like half a second. Other times I rode it for three seconds, and then finally I got to ride it for a while. I don't know that we broke it, but at least that day it did a little bit what we wanted it to do. But that horse has no desire to go where you say it's to go. That horse's nature says, I'm going to do this until the rider puts the bit in its mouth and suddenly the horse has to go against its nature. I've ridden enough horses to know that horses, most horses don't like fire and most horses don't like loud noises. But I can walk a horse that's trained, I can walk it next to the fire because there is a bit in its mouth that causes it to do what the nature of that horse doesn't want it to do. The rudder fights those winds and those currents that would drive that ship off course. When the wind is blowing this way and you want to go opposite of where the wind says to go, the only thing that can change the course is the rudder. Such is the case that you and I have a nature that is not of God but of flesh. A nature that is of our father the devil. And our nature says this is what you ought to do. This is how you ought to respond. This is what you ought to say. And it's our tongue. And we have got to learn to direct our tongue to go against what my fleshly nature wants to do. 
case in point, take about November when it's about 30 degrees outside and you're hanging siding on a house and your hands are cold because if you're me I can't use gloves and have you know dexterity and you swing that hammer and you hit that frozen thumb brother Don you ever done anything like that there is nothing in my nature that says hmm There are lots of things in my nature that wants to come out, Brother Miller. If I could be as brutally honest as can be, there are words I know that are in my mind that want to come flying out, but I know that that is not the nature of God. And so my tongue must direct the human nature away. I have yet gone, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But I have... Shut my mouth. Brother Sheldon will like this. I was out, Brother she- or not Brother Sheldon, Brother Chase. I was out with him and, and his friend from GM, Brother Sheldon. And, and, and Sheldon is not in church. And, or, you know, and, and so we have some fun. And, and uh, I had gotten one of my big lures hung up down there. And I was pulling for all. And I knew it was going to come flying back. And it came flying back and hit me right. That lead head hit me right on the end of the elbow. And I said, ouchie mama. And, and <laughs> Sheldon about fell out of the boat. He goes, hmm, so that's how pastors cuss. <laughs> I can tell you that there were things in my mind that wanted to come. But, but, but James tells us that the, the tongue has the power to direct the nature. What I will tell you now, that it is not just the bit or the rudder that affects the change. It's the strong hand on the bridle, the strong hand on the rudder. It's about a life that's in control. When you allow the Holy Spirit to control your tongue, then you don't have to fear to say the wrong things. In fact, I would tell you Solomon said this in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. David prayed this in Psalms 141, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips, incline not my heart to any evil thing, because they understood I need a strong hand to direct my tongue. And and not only do they have the, uh, the power to direct, but they also affect the lives of others. A horse without a, str- without a bit and a horse without a strong hand to direct it. A runaway horse can wreak havoc. I think it was last year downtown in, in St. Louis, one of those horses with the chick carriages uh, that was there, something happened, something spooked that horse and it took off just, just pell-mell down the streets of, of uh, uh, St. Louis City until that horse finally ran into the Mississippi River and drowned it. It had hit cars in the way, people getting out of the way. I've seen video of boats whose rudder was broken or boats in whom whoever was behind the wheel was intoxicated or they were incapacitated and they run over things. Such is true with a mouth that has no control. That's why it would do you good to read the book of Proverbs over and over and over and over. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words Stir up anger. 
Lying lips, the Bible says in Proverbs 12, is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 10 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. I will tell you today that your tongue has the power to direct your life. It will either direct it into the course of the flesh or it will direct it into the things of God. And in doing so, it will either hurt people or it will help people. And then you have the power to destroy. Not only does it have the power to direct, but the power uh, to destroy. James chapter 3 verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And that tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of a beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. In... 1871, October the 8th to be exact, at 8.30 p.m. Anybody know what happened October 8th, 1871 at 8.30 p.m. in Chicago? Miss O'Leary's cow kicked over a tiny little lantern. And when that fire was done, 100,000 people were left homeless 17,500 buildings destroyed, 300 people died. Small flame, out of control. We've all seen in the last few years the destructive capabilities of fire. The fire in Gatlinburg and, Berg, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I, don't, I, I was close, you know, in... in because we had been in Alberta, Canada earlier, but when that fire in Fort McMurray uh, Alberta, Canada hit and burned one of our large churches there. You know what's interesting about forest fires? Most of them, somehow they trace it back. A tiny match, a carelessly thrown cigarette, a spark from an ATV muffler. From something small comes great damage and thus it is with the words we say. Our words can start a fire and destroy if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20. And I want you to grab a pen. I want you to grab a, a, a marker. I don't care what it is, but you need to circle this. I mean, there, there are some great verses in the Bible that we need to remember. But this is one of those that I hadn't put thought about it. But I want you to listen. Somebody tell me when you've got it open in your Bible. Proverbs 26, 20. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, which I think you will, I want you to listen to this. Every young person, I want you to pay attention. Every man, every lady, pay attention. Proverbs says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Let me tell you what that means. And this is why I want you to underline it and, and, and highlight it. 
all of us have been recipients or you have seen places where lives were ruined or relationships were ruined because somebody kept talking and, and stirring up the pot and stirring up the fire. And about the time you think that they've, everything's good and we've all kind of made up and, and every, somebody brings up the past, somebody throws it on. Can I tell you right now that many times if we just stopped talking about it, the issue and the situation would die for lack of fuel. When you don't respond, that fire can't burn. When you don't get all excited on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that you are and you start feeding that fire and you're watching it burn, no, just take it off. Don't type. Delete. So it is, I've seen too many times in churches and families and youth groups and, and whatever it is, there are people who, who cannot control their tongues and the result is destruction. And then what I've found sometimes, whether it's in a family, a youth group, a church, a home, sometimes one person will leave and there's peace. You know why? Because they were ones that, that, that it was, their, it was their, their talk that just kept, kept burning in there. David wrote this in Psalms 39. He says, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. He says uh, in the third part, third verse of that, he said, my heart was hot within me. And while I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spake with my tongue. He regretted that. He said, I let it burn and then suddenly I... I came out. That's why Solomon said this, a man who restrains his word has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And all of these, some of these may not be in the King James. Uh, uh, he also said, he that's slow to anger has great understanding but he who is quick tempered exalts folly. Listen to me, fire burns and fire hurts and so can our words. And you know what's interesting? You know how you, you've heard pastors say this, I don't know how many times. You've heard me say, Sister Audrey, you've heard me say that, that Jesus was tempted in all things like as we are. And I've had people look me in the eye and say, well, no, because Jesus hasn't gone through what I've gone through. Now, I knew this, but I'd never put it together, Brother Steve. How many of you have ever had somebody talk about you and it's truly hurt you? I mean, I know we say sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can never hurt us. And I know there's times that we're a bigger person and we let it run off like water on a duck's back. But have you ever been hurt truly by a word? I mean, devastated because of what someone says or how they treat you? One of the sorrows that our Lord bore on this earth. In Matthew chapter 11, 19 they called Jesus a wine-bibber and a glutton. They said, all you do is drink and you're a glutton simply because he graciously accepted an invitation to go eat with someone the Pharisees didn't like. When Jesus performed miracles, Sister Stacy, you know what they said of Jesus? You're in league with Satan. When he was dying on the cross, they couldn't leave him alone even though they had, they, they, in their mind they thought they had won. What are they doing? If you can get down off the cross, save yourself. They're taunting him. And so it is that fire spreads. And the more fuel you give it, the faster it goes. And James chapter 3 verse 6 says, The tongue setteth on fire the course of nature. And so we've got to be careful. Now I, I have not personally worked this statistic out. 
Someone said that for every word in Adolf, in, in Adolf Hitler's book, that, that Mein Kampf or however you pronounce that, for every word written, 125 lives were lost in World War II. Now, your word may not cause a war or wreck a city, but they can break a heart and they can ruin a reputation. And I'm going to tell you right now, our words can send a person into hell and eternity without Christ. That's why Paul said it's important that our speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Not only can it destroy like a fire, but it can be a dangerous animal, reckless, can't be ruled. It's that poison and the deceptive thing about a poison is that sometimes you don't even, it may not hurt you or, or, or kill you at once, but it just kind of works there and it seeps there. And I have seen a poisonous tongue do great damage for a while, for a long period of time and so it is that we have to be careful Jesus said it this way out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks that's the that's the sad part let me tell you what the good part is let's go to James chapter 3 and verse 9 with it with our tongue with our tongue we bless the Lord and Father and well, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a frig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither a salt pond can yield fresh waters. Let me give you real quick a bunch of verses that flow there. Proverbs 18 says a word's... The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. Proverbs 10 says the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Proverbs 13 says the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of the death. All of those verses, they're paralleling James or probably James is paralleling them to be honest. And, and what it is, is, is we know of the destructive capabilities of water. A lot of us remember the flood of 93. We've seen that. Uh, in our family recently, you had the flood there in Denham Springs, Louisiana last year. And, and, and we saw pictures of churches under. We all know that water can be destructive. But can I tell you that I don't usually think of water as destructive. When I go and, 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 and grab a bottle of water out of the refrigerator or I go to a water fountain and I crank it up, I don't go, man, this water, did you know that this water can cut metal? You ever seen a water jet machine? You push water fast enough and hard enough and with enough pressure it can cut metal. But you know, Brother Perryman, when I drink water, I'm not thinking of how destructive it is. I'm thinking of what that water does. I'm thinking that that water refreshes me. That water sustains me. That water, I can, I can pour it over uh, plants and put it in my garden and I get good tomatoes hopefully this year that have come out of that. And, and that's what I, I think about. Proverbs says, uh, verse 12, you're going to see a lot of Proverbs here. And, and that's the, the similarity between the Proverbs of the Old Testament and James of the New. He that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. There were many times in Paul's writing that he used this phrase. He says that I might refresh the saints that are in Rome. That was Romans chapter 15. Or he would talk about people that have refreshed him. People that had spoken into his life and and so the tongue has this incredible power to refresh. It also likens it to a tree. And, and 
we know that, that in, in the Bible times they were still very much a society that was connected to agriculture and things like that. And those trees, they were vital to the economy. They would hold down the soil so it wouldn't erode. They would provide shade. They would bear fruit. Such is the same with you and your words. Proverbs 10, here we go back again. The lips of the righteous feed many. John said, or, or John recorded the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I'm not about to tell you that you can speak like Jesus spoke because never a man has spoken that way. But there is truth. The words that you speak can bring life. The most important thing though about those, those trees is its root system. If that root system is not deep, that tree is unhealthy and probably won't produce. And the same is true. If you want your words to produce fruit, if you want your words to sustain, then you better have a, a rooted, you, you better be rooted and grounded in the things of God. All you have to do is read Psalms chapter 1 and see what, it, what, what he talks about, the blessed man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is he that. I would tell you today, Isaiah said this, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. Mark said in the morning, rising up, in a, uh, rising up a great while before day, Jesus went out, departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. There's something about rooting yourself in the things of God that allows you to speak in a productive, fruitful manner, and it's a way that you can touch those around you. But James issued a warning. James said a fountain can't give you both sweet and bitter water. A tree can't give you different kinds of fruit. There's this, this saying, and I don't know who came up with it first, that says that nature reproduces after its own kind. Giraffes give birth to giraffes unless they're named April, and then they never give birth. And then lions give birth to lions, and, and, and so on. A life that's rooted and grounded in God gives birth to godly things but a life that's not rooted in God and rooted in the things of this world it's not one, one person that I, in, in study, one, one commentary said if the tongue is inconsistent then there's something radically wrong with the heart and, and, and this same author had an illustration that he knew this is not personal to me but he said he heard about a professing Christian that had gotten angry on the job, and, and, and while he was angry, he let loose with some oaths. And when he was embarrassed, he, you know, he turned to the guy next to him who knew he was a Christian and said, I don't know why I said that. It, that that's really not me. And the guy that he was with replied, he said, it had to be in you or it wouldn't have come out of you. And, and so there it is. When Peter... See... Uh, Jesus was, was, was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came and they took him away. The Bible is very clear that the disciples scattered. John stays with them step by step. Peter stays behind. If you will, Peter got out of step and got out of fellowship with, with God. And when he did, you find Peter in the outer courts cursing and cussing and denying the Lord. And so... 
if you're here on Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night youth service and you're lifting up holy hands and you're giving God praise and then you go to work or you go to school and you tell dirty jokes or you're, 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 you're using words that are not pleasing, you're, you're inconsistent. And inconsistent means there's something very wrong. And, and James says, my brethren, this ought not be. problem becomes not the tongue but the heart there's bitterness envying and strife in our hearts Matthew says those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart Proverbs 4 says keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life that's the power of the tongue I want us to just take a moment and I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to ask the Lord to help you with your tongue would you do that for just a second Lord we hear your word and it, it sinks in and, and, and your word becomes that magnifying glass that illuminates our heart. No one sees what, what I'm seeing in my own life. And Lord, I'm asking right now that you would help us to take to heart this first part of James chapter 3. Lord, let me walk not as an inconsistent Christian, but Lord, let me walk knowing I'm rooted and grounded in you and that my heart is right and what's in my heart proceeds out. God, let my mouth, let my tongue be directed to the things of good and the things of God. Lord, I pray that you would not let me hurt or destroy anything with what I say and what I do. And Lord, would you guide me? Let me refresh. Let the words that I speak, let it be the ones that lead someone to Christ or refreshes someone or encourages someone, Lord. God, I want to walk with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Got five more verses. That first part is a lot longer than the second. But James begins to, to, to get off of the tongue and he goes to this thing called wisdom. And I want to put up uh, James chapter 3 verse 13 through 18. And then I want to contrast, uh, uh, contrast a few things that you see there. Remember, this is all talking about how to be a good Christian, how to be a mature Christian. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, you do not boast and be false to the truth. It is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly and unspiritual and demonic. It's where jealousy and selfish ambition exist that there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, wisdom, the Jewish people, they used the word wisdom. They understood that a lot. They, they realized that it was not enough to have knowledge. You had to have wisdom, and we've read this and talked about this in other places. Wisdom is how to use the knowledge you have correctly. You can have a lot of knowledge and it be absolutely useless. Just because you can quote something or you know something doesn't mean you know how to use it. And so it is that Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, uh, Solomon said, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And remember, this is all a little bit connected to the fact that there were people in, the, in James's church that wanted to be teachers of the word. And so he was reminding them it's not enough just to get in front of the people and start talking. You better have something to say. And it's not enough just to, just to know what to say. 
got to know how to say it. Got to have the power of God behind it. Somebody said it this way, knowledge enables us to take something apart, but wisdom enables us to put it back together. And so James is going to do two things. He's going to contrast wisdom and false wisdom, or if you will, the the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man or the wisdom of this world. He's going to take three ways and he's going to contrast it. He's going to tell you about the contrast of the origins of it, the contrast of the operations of it, and... And, and the contrast of the outcomes. Again, Warren Wiersbe's alliteration. Where does wisdom come from? Well, James tells us that true wisdom comes from above, while the wisdom of this world comes from below. Teaching us that there is a heavenly wisdom and a man-made wisdom. And if it's not of God, it fails. If it is of God, it succeeds. Read the Bible. You want to see where man's wisdom is? Tower of Babel. That was man's wisdom. It didn't work. Abraham going to Egypt when the famine hit, when he should have stayed right where God told him to be, it didn't work. King Saul thinking, I'll put my armor on King on this little boy named David and everything will be okay. Or David thinking, I can do this. Or the disciples saying, let's dismiss this crowd and let them find their own food when Jesus had a whole other miracle ready to happen. Are those experts, sailors in the book of Acts chapter 27 that says it's okay to sail through the storm. And Paul said, I wouldn't. And they didn't listen and they shipwrecked. James says this is wisdom that's, that's of man. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. And he goes on to tell us that there's three enemies that, that a walk with God, that someone that walks with God has. We battle the world, we battle the flesh, and we battle the devil. The wisdom of this world. You know, I'm amazed at how much we know. We put a man on the moon. We've got probes on Mars. We have just explored the grand reaches. We can do things that, that are unheard of. But we can't figure out that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Just curious. I mean, we can split the atom in so many ways and we can tell you how many bones is in the skull of a human being, but we can't figure out that there's two genders. Because man's knowledge, there's a lot of knowledge, not a lot of wisdom. So it is that The Bible says, 1 Corinthians, that the world in its wisdom knew not God and that in its wisdom it rejected the very gospel of God. That's why 1 Corinthians says it was the preaching of the cross. It's to them that perish foolishness. And I don't have time to get on it, but I would challenge you to go back and read the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians and watch what Paul says about man's wisdom and the wisdom of this world. Man's wisdom is foolishness to God, and God's wisdom is foolishness to man. Man's wisdom will never come to anything, but God's wisdom will endure forever. And the Romans tells us that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, or I'm sorry, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. But Paul said in Romans chapter 3 that there was no fear of God before their eyes. And so that's one wisdom, this, this earthly 
wisdom, this, this wisdom of the world. But the second enemy of our soul is a, a false witness. Now the Bible uses the word sensual and that doesn't mean erotic or anything like that. It means it's natural. It means it comes from life. It's the same word that we get the word psychology from. It's derived from that. It's opposite of spiritual. It's natural. It's our human nature. And so what it is, is it seems to indicate that our fallen nature is opposed to this nature that God gives us in salvation and that the wisdom we think we have of our own selves falls far short of what God can give us. And then you have that wisdom that's from beneath, that devilish wisdom. And the best way I can translate that demonic wisdom is to bring you to Genesis chapter 3 and watch how the devil gave wisdom and logic to a lady named Eve and convinced her that it was okay. The devil has a way of just telling you something that seems perfectly right, but it's not. But, but James isn't going to leave you there. He's going to contrast it. Instead of that wisdom that's earthly and natural or sensual or devilish, he says, let me tell you about the wisdom that's from above. James chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. Philippians says, our citizenship is in heaven. Matthew says, our Father is in heaven. Uh, uh, Ma again, Matthew says, our treasures are in heaven. And so uh, John said, our home is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. And Colossians says, we set our affection and attention on things above. There's something about not looking down here for the knowledge and wisdom we need, but look up. Do we look at the philosophies of this world? Absolutely not. Jesus is who we have. He said that, that 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Colossians says that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, is hid all of the treasure of knowledge and wisdom. And the word of God gives us wisdom. So don't, don't listen to the world. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to the devil. Make sure you're finding a place to make to, to, to be confident you're hearing from above. Whether it's through the sermon, through the word of God, through your prayers and your devotions, you've got to hear it. But he contrasts the operations of wisdom. The wisdom from this world or from our nature or from the devil, it leads to envy and selfish ambition and zeal. It's that I'm going to promote myself. It's what can I do. It's, it's I can do this. It's the, I mean, even you had disciples that argued who were the greatest in the kingdom. That's not the wisdom we want. There's strife. This is where I, I mentioned earlier that, that, that we're going to talk about division in the church, but it's okay to divide up for SOC. But that word strife means a party spirit. And that doesn't mean party like college, go out and drink. But it, it was used by the Greeks to describe that politician going out and trying to get votes and canvassing and pressing the flesh. Now remember we talked about our, our talk and our voice and our speech if you're always looking out and asking people are you for me or against me if you're looking for rivalries if you're looking for someone or that's, that's on your side or not on your side that's the wisdom of this world that's the wisdom of this flesh 
Boasting is another contrast of how the wisdom that, that is from below operates. Boasting and deceit. But when your wisdom is from Him, this is what happens. Meekness. Meekness, and, and I'm, this isn't my, I've heard this all my life. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, the word meekness, it's a power under control. The way they get that word meek is the Greek word, and it's for a horse that has been broken so that all of that power, a horse is an incredibly destructive creature. But you get a horse that's under control, that horse didn't lose an ounce of his weakness, of his strength. He didn't suddenly become weak. But now he can plow an entire field because his strength is under control. That's what the word meekness means. A meek person, someone said, seeks only the glory of God, not the praises of men. In fact, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. There's no way it's manufactured by man. It only comes from someone that's filled with God's Spirit. Purity. First pure, the, where, the, the translation I used, it read, first pure. That importance of holy. God is holy, so all wisdom from above must be pure, chaste, free from defilement. If man's wisdom leads to competition and rivalry and war, then God's wisdom leads us to peace. Listen carefully. If in your relationships you're warring and you're always striving, chances are it's not wisdom from God. God's wisdom leads to peace. Gentleness, compliance, agreeable, easy to live with, mercy, good fruits, decisiveness, sincerity, all of that. And then he talks about the contrast of outcomes. That wisdom from the world or our flesh or from below the devil, it produces trouble. But God's wisdom produces blessing. I don't have near the time to tell you, but I could give you an entire timeline of my life. And I could show you where my wisdom showed its head and the trouble it got me in. And I could show you where God's wisdom raised up and how much easier my life was. Someone said that the Christian life is a life of sowing and reaping. What we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow, and what we sow determines what we reap. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. I want to invite you to stand today. I told you that tonight would be one of the clearest ways for you to judge your life and your walk with God. And I hope it's, it's shown out there. The words that you say and the knowledge and wisdom that you're using in your life are two of the greatest ways for you to examine yourself. For you to look at it. I want us just to lift our hands for just a moment. And I don't want you just to take off and leave. Give me just a few moments. I want you to take time and I want you to ask the Lord to, to help you receive what the Word of God says. And wherever there's been places that God's Word has pricked you, where God's Word has said, you know, you need to work on that. I want you to make some commitments to Him right now. Take just a few moments. Make me in your image. Lord,
wash me white. 